this is a season where we frequently see lights and hear lights mentioned. Jesus is the light of the world. When we do the prayer of illumination, we are asking for God's light to shine on our hearts. So God, give us your light to help us see the truth, your light to see the path, to follow, and your light to see ourselves as we are. Amen. The Old Testament reading is Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the girdle of his waist and faithfulness the girdle of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed their young and shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The suckling child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. There shall not, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as an ensign to the peoples, him shall the nation seek, and his dwelling shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Matthew's Gospel, the third chapter, and the first 12 verses of that chapter. Listen now for God's word. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that's to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance." Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able to raise these stones up 
children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. While a sophomore in college, I did something that was not very caring and probably very inappropriate. I probably did a lot of things that were not caring and inappropriate while I was in college, but this is the one that I remember particularly. I and a couple other students decided to go to a revival in a Pentecostal church. The church was in the mill community where I was working with disadvantaged children, and we wanted to go see what a real revival was like. So we go out one evening for the revival, and the evangelist is finishing up his sermon, and he begins to make the altar call. And for some reason, maybe my anxiety or something else, I realized that he had spied me on the back row. And so everything he said I felt was coming at me. He said, it's time now for people to repent and believe in the gospel and come join the church. And spied, stared right at me. And I stared right back at him. Well, he didn't get a response from anybody, so he upped the ante. And he said, you don't know. Tonight on your way home from this church, you may have a wreck and you are killed. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Staring right at me and I'm staring right back at him. That didn't get a response either. So then he went on to say, we just don't know. There may be a bomb in this church building and it may go off tonight. Are you prepared to meet your maker this evening? And then he went to the countdown. Ten. Nine, eight, seven, are you ready? Are you ready to meet your Lord? Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero, and nothing happened. And he stared at me the whole time. And I and my friends left out the front door as the service concluded. Now, it just, you have to remember, I was a sophomore. And I'm told sophomore means wise fool. And I was a wise fool in that setting and many others, I'm sure, and hopefully have matured some since then. But that was an experience, at least for me, that was life-changing in some negative sense. For at least for many of us, the reason I tell the story, many of us that are from the South especially have this stereotypical notion of what it means to repent and that we go to revivals and life is different and we're supposed to be saved and we're supposed to repent and live a new life. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association I grew up on in Charlotte, North Carolina, where thousands of people would attend in all kinds of venues and coliseums and hundreds would come forward while we continued to sing four more verses of Just As I Am Without One Plea. But for many people, those experiences were very significant and very important. They were experiences in which their lives were changed. They were experiences in which they really did meet Jesus Christ and their life had been turned around. 
Unfortunately for many of us, this Damascus Road kind of experience or these repentant revival experiences is out of our experience. And the notion of repent means very little to many of us. Yet the notion of being repentant is life-giving and life-changing and really is a gift from God, a gift of grace that God has given us in which our life might be changed and our life might be fulfilled. It all started with Isaiah and with the Israelite people from the passage that we read from uh, Isaiah's uh, scripture passage this morning. They were all looking for the Messiah. They expected the Messiah to come and to change the world, to change their lives. In fact, they believed that it was going to be so different that they had a dream that they dreamed that was almost impossible. They dreamed a dream in which the wolf and the, and the lamb would lie down together, in which the calf and the lion would dwell with each other, in which the leopard and the kid would be settled with one another, and a little child would lead them. It was a dream about a world in which there would not be enemies, there would not be different camps, there would be not people at each other, but instead a world in which people would be at peace with each other, in which people would work together with each other, in which, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, you're judged not by the color of your skin, but by the character of your personality. A radically different world they were waiting on for this Messiah to come. A world where righteousness would judge the poor and not an economic system that works against them. A world where the meek and not the mighty would rule the world. A world that was radically different from what they could imagine and I think radically different from what you and I can imagine as well. How would it be if our economic system was turned upside down? How would we like that? How would it be that we would be in a different place in a different time in order to do God's work? For all of us with our 401s and our pension funds and our inheritances, how would it be if suddenly that was turned on its head? How would it be if in a country that you get a check every month from the government just because you're a citizen, kind of like Alaska does now? How would it be if people with lesser education might begin to rule the world and be in charge of things? How would it be if a hundred new members joined this congregation and all of them were on welfare and were taking food stamps? Now, while I'm just making some suppositions, I am talking about a radical change in the way life would be seen. All of us would have to see life differently and would begin to get defensive and antsy about these kinds of things. And we would do that simply because of the values we have, of how we've been raised, of what we've worked hard to get, of the fact that we really do deserve what we have done. At least that's what we're told. And yet there is a desire in scripture for people of all kinds of varieties, different ethnics, different genders, different income, different health status, to be at peace and fellowship with one another, which would completely upend what the Israelite people were looking for and upend what we experience as God's people here. 
And then John the Baptist shows up on the scene. I think he's the first big-time TV evangelist without the benefits of a television. Because Matthew in verse 5 says that the people of Jerusalem and all Judea came out to hear him, as well as everyone along the Jordan. He was not just another prophet. They were a dime a dozen in that day and time. He was someone with gravitas. He was someone that had something to say. He had an incredible following. There was a belief that John was in the lineage of Elijah, that they were waiting for an ancestor of Elijah to come and proclaim the day of the Lord that the Messiah was on the way. And part of the hint that he was of that lineage is because of the clothing he wore and the food he ate. You notice it says that he, he wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey, all descriptive of the ancestry of Elijah. They were expecting someone to come to prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And Elijah had arrived and declared one simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He was saying that this new kingdom that was dreamed about in Isaiah has now come near. He was saying this new world and new way of living is now a reality because of the coming of the Messiah. And his message was very clear and declared, repent. And the reason he had such a strong message, the reason people were coming to be baptized by him in the Jordan, the reason that people were confessing their sins is because... Their faith had become just an ordinary affair. Their faith had just become routine. Their faith had become kind of meaningless. And so he took off at the Pharisees and Sadducees and said, you brood of vipers. These are the leaders of the church of that day and time. How dare you think that you've got the right just because you're in that leadership position and he also took off with other people and said, just because you say Abraham is your ancestor doesn't mean you've got a right in order to come into the kingdom of God. And furthermore, just because you follow certain practices and customs and ways of doing things doesn't mean that you're a shoe-in in terms of the kingdom of heaven. No, God requires more than just following some traditions. And if this is not an explanation of the kind of faith that we see in the United States of America these days, I don't know what is. For people come to worship on Sunday if it's convenient and something else is not more attractive. People get their children baptized in church because grandparents want us to do that and it's such a cute service down front in front of the baptismal font. People want to get married in a church because there's a long center aisle. And because they want to have those nice surroundings. But they're sure that the country club is reserved. And they're sure that the caterer is reserved. And they're sure the reception's in place before they ever think about getting the church signed up. And our faith oftentimes follows such traditions and such ordinary kinds of things. That the importance of its obligation on us just goes nowhere. And then when the preacher declares repent... Most of us say, huh? What does that mean? Aren't I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? 
Repent means to change your life. Repent means, as I said last week, when you're walking down Monument Avenue, you turn around and come back 180 degrees, different from the direction that you were going in. It's a huge change. And yet, the issue of repentance is a spiritual issue. We're talking about turning our spiritual ship around so that we begin to live life in a different and good kind of fashion. Living differently, acting differently, being different. But to be honest, I don't know that repentance in what I call the stereotypical format speaks to many of us. Many of us have never had a sudden turnaround. Many of us have not had a revivalistic expression and turnaround. And I want to suggest that repentance is not a one-time experience. Repentance is not something that's cataclysmic necessarily. Repentance is not necessarily a mountaintop experience. Repentance is not one size fits all like your socks. No, repentance means turning from self and turning to God. Turning from what your ways are to what God's ways are intended to be. Repentance means turning your life in a different direction so that it's not about you. It's about God. It's not about what I want. It's about what God is calling me to be. It's about the fact that my life is not my own. And I don't have the right to live X number of years and do what I want to do. I'm called to make a difference for the kingdom of heaven. All of which is fine and good. And many of us would not argue with that kind of point of view. But for me, I'm wondering, what's the test? How do I know that I've repented? How do I know that my life is different? How do I know that this repentance is real for me and my life or for us and our lives? I think Matthew gives us a clue. In verse 8 he says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, if repentance is real for you, whether it's a mountaintop or in a revival or just gradual kind of evolution, then it means that your life is lived differently. Repentance means that you're living out your faith, not just talking about it. Repentance means that you're willing to live for God and not for self. Repentance is the fruit of your labors and of how you live and how you are. Repentance means that I'm not just going to talk the talk, but I'm going to walk the walk. Because if we are repentant, we're now working for God's kingdom. We're doing and are about what our faith is all about. So some quick meddling about this thing. I would suggest that if repentance is real in your life, that worship on a regular basis is a requirement and not an option. I would suggest that repentance, if it's real, means you will not giggle at some office um, joke that's told about people that demeans them and puts them down. 
I would suggest that repentance means that if you've offended someone, you're going to go to them and apologize, whether they know it or not or realize it or not. If repentance is real, you will work in the school and the judicial system of our country in order to help people that are less advantaged to have an equal advantage. If repentance is real, you are praying for people in this congregation. You're praying for this congregation in its transition, and you're praying for yourself. If repentance is real, then you set aside at least 5% and preferably 10% to give to the work of the church as well as other organizations that help expand the kingdom of God. If repentance is real, then there are issues of youth and community issues that you will strive to make a difference in and demonstrate about that. If repentance is real, then you will declare your talents and you'll begin to use those talents here and elsewhere. If repentance is real, you're willing to declare your faith publicly on social issues without being judgmental. If repentance is real, then you will not be a member of an organization that discriminates against people because of race or because of gender. If repentance is real, you are willing to talk openly about who God is in your life and what difference God makes in your life. Repentance means there is a change, a change that's reflected in how you live and move and have your being. This past week as I was working on the sermon, I heard a news report that I think is the 64th year of Rosa Parks sitting on the front seat of the bus in Birmingham. And I think that's an illustration of what it means to live a repentant life. That she, according to news reports, had had enough and sat down on that front seat of the bus, unsure what difference it would make and look at the difference it's made through the decades. For me, repentance is a daily experience in my walk with God, asking God to help me to turn myself around and to reach out and to make a difference so I can walk closer with this God who's created me and kept me all the day long. I would suggest repentance is a good thing that it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God that when we receive it, we have a new life, a life that gives thanks and praise to the creator of this universe and a life that is much more fulfilled than it was before. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. Let us pray. Gracious God, many times it's hard for us to acknowledge our shortcomings and to acknowledge the fact that we might be wrong. But we give you thanks for this gift of repentance and how that helps us see life differently. Even as you gave of your son Jesus Christ, so may it be that we experience that same repentance that he gave for us. And so our lives might be different and more complete. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.